0: Okay, so this is a re-recording of a share that we learned together. I don't remember exactly which night it was on sukkah, <clears throat> Simchas Beis Hashraeva or our sukkah. And really at that point, the reason why I felt learning this together would be appropriate is because the Gemara teaches us that at the Simchas Beis Hashraeva, at that time of supreme joy of really the highest points of ecstasy on our Jewish calendar after Yom Kippurim, after the Gadol uh, walks out of the Kodesh HaKadashim and appears to be the human that's really within all of us, pure, holy, innocent beauty. And after that experience, that very high ecstatic and exalted experience, we're given the gift of Sukkot, which is known as the Zman or the time of pure joy, of happiness. And at that time, the Gemara relates to us that Hillel Hazakin would say, If I am here, then every, everything, everyone, all of existence is here. If I am present, then all of existence is present. And at that point, on circus, it felt that it would be appropriate to learn this piece from Rav Cook together. So we did then, but I felt I felt it important to re-record it now and um, and to share this. Really, it's not a powerful message. It's really at the root of everything, which I guess essentially in Rav Cook's writings, the more that I learned through it, the more I realized that everything that Rav Cook wrote was all the same thing, it was all the essence of what it means to be alive, the essence of what it means to be created by Hashem, the essence of what it means to be a Jew. This Torah that we're gonna learn together now comes from Shemayna Kvatzim, from the journals of Rav writings, the unedited diaries, diary entries that Rav Kuk wrote for himself this tarot has been referenced by different places, different people, and it's it, it found in Koivitz Gimel in the third journal, the letter of Dalad, the third journal of the 24th entry. You can look it up on Safaria. Safaria has uh, uh, gifted us a free copy of this with, with a, a pretty nice English translation. We're going to learn this together because I feel, to me, in the last few weeks, I've a lot of people have reached out to me to ask and talk about different things in, in life as a therapist. And one of the common threads is a question of trying to understand what it means to surrender to God. What does surrender mean? In Chabad, they talk a lot about bittel, about being mavatal, ourselves, surrendering ourselves. So what does it mean to surrender ourselves? And... Of course, how does it apply to our lives? Now, for each of us, in our own way, it's it's very subjective. It's very, uh, very contextual. In our own lives, we have to work towards learning about what does it mean to surrender myself to Hashem? What does it mean to have bitachon? And trust that Hashem is doing things for the best. Hashem is doing things with me in mind. Hashem is not mindless. Hashem is not doing things chaotically. And Hashem is certainly not doing things to hurt me, but that everything that Hashem does is there for the purpose of me. Hashem is always keeping me in mind. Hashem is always talking to me and interacting with me in my life. And to get to that darga of experience, we have to surrender. We must cultivate and master the art of surrender. And for each of us, that looks different. For each of us at different stages in our lives, that looks different. And so we a very healthy dosage of self-awareness is important to connect and tune into what that means to surrender. One of the common problems I I find, I found this with myself, I find this with myself, and I find this with many others, is the question of when we talk about surrendering myself, when I talk about being an ever Hashem, when I talk about serving and worshipping Hashem, we're Is the emphasis and where do I as a human being fit into that? It would seem to be, many of us are raised with this language, that my existence doesn't seem to matter. What Hashem wants matters. So surrender what I want for what Hashem wants. Hashem's interests are holier than my interests. They're more important than my interests. And so I need to somehow let go of the things that I'm interested, become strong enough to to not care and sacrifice the things that I'm interested in for the sake of doing what Hashem wants. And where that messes so many of us up is sometimes we're surrendering too much. Sometimes we're not actually surrendering ourselves, we're sacrificing ourselves. And I think that might be a nice way of, of thinking about it. To surrender myself does not mean that I I give myself up completely. Surrendering myself means that I am capable somehow of giving up certain parts of myself and retaining a very strong connection with other parts of myself. Meaning, if I can learn to surrender my ego and attach myself to my soul, if I can honor my soul and not need to be attached to the things that my ego are are attached to, then I have the capacity to surrender. To surrender to Hashem means that I have the capacity to let go of my attachments, not, not all my attachments, but to let go of the attachments that are giving me pain in life. I want A, B, and C, and I'm not getting A, B, and C, and so I must stop to look and see whether or not that interest and that desire that I have is something that's really important and relevant to my life, and perhaps God is telling me that those interests that I have are not relevant to my life as much as I want them, as much as I yearn and crave for certain things. But that's only half of it. Every time that I act some, in some form of accepting something in reality, every time that I surrender something about myself, I must tune deeper back into myself myself to find a connection to my soul. Because the act of surrender can never, ever mean that I give myself up entirely. Even the concept of Nasiras Nefesh, of allowing myself to die, the, the Gemara tells us that if a person is faced with three specific kinds of sins, that he should rather give himself up to die. Certainly, somebody who dies al Kiddush Hashem, somebody who's killed and sacrificed for the sake of their religiousness. So we have to be careful about the words. To be Mosar nefesh means to give over my soul. That's an act of surrender. That's not an act of sacrifice. Even in death, the language that we use, we have to be careful not to say sacrifice. I don't sacrifice myself on God's altar. That's why the nesayon of Avraham was such a a particularly challenging one. Avraham was asked to sacrifice his son. Yitzchak was not asked to sacrifice his life. He was asked to surrender. That means that Yitzchak voluntarily chose to pay attention to what God wants and doesn't flinch as his father raises that that knife in the air. For Avraham, that's a totally different story. You can't surrender even your own child's life. You can't surrender that. You can't let go of that. That's a sacrifice. And that was the, was the, uh, was the major challenge for Avram in a way, because Avram understood that God, if there is such a thing as one individual God, God would never ask for sacrifice. And so in the spiritual practices of trying to tune into surrender, what we have to hold on to with, with tremendous, tremendous dignity and tremendous strength. Every act of surrender requires us to dig deeper into ourselves and cling stronger to something that's deeper within us. I need to reassure myself and ground myself that I can give up A, B, and C because there's something deeper, something more real, something more beautiful, something more tangible than whatever it is that I'm asked to surrender. And that's what it means to surrender for God. And that's, to me, the way that we have to begin in learning this piece from Rav Kook. Again, in Shmona the third journal, number twenty-four. Rav Kook begins with the words from the Navi, the Navi "Va'ani Gaila, The essence of I, the I or as a friend of mine used to call the "isness," the eye of a person, the soul of a person, is in exile, is chained, is stuck. We all know that, right? We've all, we've all experienced that kind of thing, of being stuck. But in, in the deepest way, Va'ani ha-goyla, my essential "I" is stuck in exile, in jail. So if Cook explains this, he says, ha'pnimi the inner I, the inner essence of what I am, the inherent value. It's not just the value, the inherent self of a person that is internal, that is, of course, a chilek awakami mal mamish, that is, of course, a piece of God himself that's placed into me, that's gifted to me. of the individual and of the collective. Is not revealed to us within ourselves. The I, the essential I, is only revealed to us because we can never really know. You can never really put words. That's why even learning this is, is, is a chiddush, that Cook was able to write as close as possible to explain what the soul is. We can't explain the soul. We can't know the soul. The soul is a piece of God Himself. It's not possible to to know that, right? God's name is in, in English sometimes is referred to as the ineffable. It's it's not tangible enough. We can't actually touch it. It's something that's too holy and too sublime. It's too it's too above outside of reality to be able to explain. So he says, Rav Cook says that the only revelation that we have, the only particles, the pieces. The feelings, the experiences, the senses, the only way we can sense that I, it's only revealed to us within ourselves. We only get to experience the holiness and the purity of it. And as we've explained at other times, holiness is experienced as being special. When a person can experience their specialness, tahara, their purity is the feeling of i matter tahara is the first level kadusha is a higher level tahara means the experience that i matter and kadusha is the experience that i am special and again where people get so messed up in life is that so much so many of us want to be special to another human being or we want to do something special in this world we want to do something great we want to do something magnificent specialness only happens in kadusha that means that specialness only happens between me and God. It is only in my relationship with God that I have the capacity to truly feel special and have an inherent feeling of I am special. Almost, almost, the thing that gets closest to us to experience kedusha is if we were to think about being nestled cozily, snuggled in our parents' embrace. But other than that, that's the highest uh, uh, uh Marshall, that's the highest uh, way that we could possibly understand what it means to experience Kedusha. To experience Kedusha is to experience a feeling that when I think of myself in relation to Hashem, I recognize that I am purely special. And this goes way beyond anything that I do or don't do, as we'll see Cook says. says. the says, The essence of who I am is only revealed inside of me. Only through experiencing, on my level, the Kedusha and Tahara, according to the amount of strength that comes from heaven, that is completely infused and drenched with the beautiful lights that come from above, that is constantly dancing within me, in other words, there's always somewhere inside of me. We think that if we go, the, sometimes we, we experience depth with pain. We experience depth with darkness. Or Cook is saying that in the deepest places, there is something inside of me that is brimming with joy and brimming with Kedusha and Tahara, brimming with this unbelievable, unbridled strength that comes from heaven and the only way I can experience my essential I, my essential is is if I somehow am able to make it, to experience little sensations of that unbelievable beauty. So Rav Kook says Chatanu we have sinned along with our fathers. Rav Kook now starts to go through a series of events that took place in our history that have really primed us to continue making mistakes. And this is what our job in life is to learn how to do. And it begins with Adam Rishon. The first man that was created sinned. He became a stranger to himself. He did something that was not within the authentic flow of that unbelievable Kedusha and Tahara that was burning and brimming and exploding inside of him. He did something that was a stranger to himself. He turned to the das of the nachash, to the wisdom of the snake. And he lost himself. After he sinned, we know that he ran and hid in the garden somewhere. And God called out to him and said to him, where are you? And Adam couldn't respond. And here, if Cook is teaching us in his in this unbelievably beautiful way, that the entire sin, he's framing the entire sin of Adam Arishan by the Eitz Adas, was that he became a stranger to himself. And so when God called out to him and said to him, God was actually saying to him, Adam, where did you go? Not... You're lost from me. You're lost from yourself. The question of Ayeka was not simply a matter of where did you go? You're hiding. The question of Ayeka was God saying to Adam, the entire mess up, the entire problem, the entire sin was rooted in the fact that you lost yourself from yourself. You stepped out of yourself and went to a strange place. You left your authenticity. You stopped being who you are. Adam could not answer with clarity to the question of where are you? Because at that moment he didn't know himself. Because the true essence, the true authentic self that he was, was lost from him. By the sin of bowing down to a foreign God. And now here again, if Cook is kind of flipping all of our understandings of life, all of our understandings of, of what the problem with serving Avaydazara, what why do Chazal make such a big deal about Zarah? The Gemara tells us that that the Anshe Knesset HaGadayla, the great rabbis from many many years ago, were able to pray that we shouldn't have any more interest and any more desire for Zarah. There are different different different. Ma'amari Chazal that talk about how powerful and how strong the urge to serve another god was. But here Rav Kook is telling us, and this is true for even ourselves, the remnants of what it means to serve idols, what it means to serve a foreign god, it means, Rav Kook is saying, the problem is not in the god that you might serve. The problem is is that you serve in an inauthentic way. The problem with serving a foreign god is that you become foreign to yourself. You think somehow you're not attached to Hashem, you're not attached to God. You think somehow that, you know, you lose yourself in the trees and you figure like you can talk to the trees because the trees are tangible. And so you kind of go off the path of spirituality and instead of going straight up to the heavens himself or to Hashem himself, you stop, you stop at the heavens, right? You stop at the heavens. You don't even go up to Hashem himself. By bowing down to a foreign God, by not being authentic to himself, Adam bowed down to a foreign God. You can't worship God authentically if you can't be yourself authentically. And of course, what this means for us in our lives, hopefully we'll we'll get to address in a little bit. But just the framework of this. If I, if I worship in a foreign manner, in a way that's not authentic to me, then I am not worshiping Hashem. This is a whole, a whole perhaps a whole series of shirim that we'll have to do, but <speaking in Hebrew> Again, different p'sukim that he's quoting here. The Jewish people sinned. They followed after a strange God. They have left the essence of who they were, their true authentic self. We have forfeited our relationship to goodness. Now, Rav Kook goes on. When God created the earth, the earth sinned. The earth Rebelled against its own natural authentic self. Simtima es the earth. And now again, what we're talking about the earth here. Now, Rav is talking about the earth. He's really talking about all of materialism, as we'll see in a minute. It's not just the earth. The practical question of earth is he's going to quote for in a, in a minute the Gemara to tell us what exactly the earth did when 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 God created the earth that the earth didn't do properly. But when we talk about the earth, Rif Kook is talking here about all of materialism, which is really so much of our, our Western world is so connected to this way of thinking. Tim Tima Materialism, the earth, earthiness, the what, what did they do? What did the earth do wrong? The earth limited its potential, it limited its capacity. Now, paradoxically, all too often in our search for authenticity, we limit ourselves to. Because in searching for my authenticity, I have to make sure that all of my midos, all of my character traits have been refined and all of my character traits ha- are working in tandem with each other. All too often we, we kind of pull the trigger too early on what it is we call our authenticity. People all too often feel within themselves a certain pull towards something. It feels right to them. And they say, okay, well, this is my authentic self. Now there's a certain truth to that, except that we never, ever, ever can fully know what our authentic selves are. And so all too often, what is so common today in in spirituality and self-growth and in trying to find ourselves, we limit ourselves by defining what our authentic selves are before we are fully cooked. And since we are never fully cooked, we have to make sure that in our search for being authentic, we don't actually limit ourselves because we never know what more we can learn about ourselves. We never know how much more we can develop, how much more we can ripen, how much more we can grow. So if Cook says, Chata the earth sin, it rebelled against its essence, tzim tzimah it limited its, its, its capacity. It went after goals. The earth set for itself a certain kind of goal, and it only chased that goal and never went beyond. It limited itself by setting goals. The Gemara teaches us that when Hashem created the earth, He asked the earth to bore fruit, and to bore trees and bark that tasted like the fruit, and the earth didn't do that. The earth only bore fruit that tasted like fruit, and the bark itself was missing any flavor. That means, and Rav understanding of this, the trees thought that their entire purpose was to create fruit. And so it limited all of its potential by putting all of the juicy, sweet flavors of fruit into fruit, and it left nothing for itself. Listen to what Cook is saying. By not bringing flavors into the tree, into the bark, into the branches, the trees focused on its one particular goal. It thought that its goal was to produce peros, to produce something tangible, to produce a, a, a tangible result. And by doing that, It forgot to take care of itself. It forgot to leave nutrients and energy and sweetness for itself. It surrendered itself too much for the sake of some goal out there. And by doing that, it ruined itself. And that's the sin of the earth. How many of us have set goals for ourselves and then have turned our lives into simply following the rules? that are governed by getting to the goal. And every time we hit that goal, we get happy, we're excited, and then we we wake up the next day and try to hit that goal again. And maybe sometimes we move the goal a little bit further and a little bit further, the more money we make, the more money we have to invest, the more money we have to invest, the larger our, 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 uh, our portfolio becomes, et cetera. Success is limiting, it can be limiting, if all we can focus on is the goals that we have predetermined for ourselves. Rufkook is teaching us that goals and our, our authentic self, once we've defined ourselves and put ourselves into a little box, no matter how beautiful the box is, once we've done that, it's very possible that we can become very goal oriented and forget the fact that A, our journey in life is extremely important. And our journey in life also needs to have flavor. The rough roots of our, and the bark and the branches that we have that are not fruit, also need to have flavor, we also need to have meaning there, and never, ever, ever limit ourselves simply by the goals that we've determined for ourselves, or the goals that have been determined for us, because that is one of the greatest sins that the Western world suffers with. (laughs) Nasa ein mechutzla, Rav says, that the earth put its eyes, it focused its eyes on things that were really unrelated to it. Lachshayv al-dvar gairoles the v'kriyereis. Rukuk is saying that that the earth put its vision on having a career. The earth felt, well, okay, God is, is asking me to have a job. And so it put all of its energy into the job. The job is to produce, to produce vegetation. And so everything is going to go into produce vegetation. The earth forgot that it also does many other things, like it provides shade for us, like it provides beauty for us. Right, this is a question I read a while ago and I've asked this of many, many people. Who got it more right? The scientist who can describe how things in nature work or the poet who can eloquently capture the image of what it's like to be inside of nature. The earth became very biological. The earth forgot all of the poetry that it was meant to manifest with itself because it it simply left itself and it stopped chasing the dreams and the capacities and the possibilities of what it could become and got lost in simply what it thought it needed to do. Narev Kut moves on. Katrega hayerach the moon complained of the that's how beautiful this is the moon lost its own fulfillment it lost its own sense of self it lost the meaning that it had of being the moon the moon lost what it means to have the joy of whatever it was meant to be Azu right? Who is a wealthy person, a person that's able to be happy with that which they have? Simchas chalco of the sipuk the moon lost the, the meaning and the fulfillment of, of, of what it what it was. Simcha chalco, it lost the joy of what they what she was given. Chol hadras malachim kitzon, it dreamed of mighty. And royal beauty, it dreamed of a greatness that was way beyond what it was meant to be. Not beyond because it wasn't it wasn't good enough, but beyond because it would be it would be ilu as if the president of the United States became very jealous of, of uh, if if President Biden became jealous of Putin and said, you know, I would love to live in a palace like Putin lives in, but you're not the, you're not the king of, of Russia. You're meant to be the king of the United States, the president of the United States the moon became infatuated with a certain sense of royalty that had nothing to do with it. And this is how the world goes, Rav bemoans. The world is suffering and complaining and crying and being crushed under having lost that sense of i that that authentic experience of as he says the kadusha betahara, the erach vura ha yaina hasafugama we have lost each one of us individually and nationally the collective we have all lost that experience of feeling within ourselves the authentic Explosive, beautiful, powerful, I. Now, goes on, Ba'im mulamadim, comes along Jewish educators, comes along really any educator, they look on the material, the content of what, what they're meant to teach. They look at externalities. ha'ani, They also have left the wisdom of what it means to be ani. They they have distracted their thinking, their intuition, their focus from their sense of self. And they add more wheat, more hay to the fire. They're soaking the coals. They are giving the thirsty children, the children who are thirsty, to be cultivated, to be manifested. They're looking with innocent eyes and innocent hearts and innocent ears. They want to know, tell me, teach me, how does Hashem want me to be? How can I be? Grow me into an adult that is filled with that unbelievable kayach that's called the chela galakami ma'amish within me. And Rav Kook says, some of these educators are, are giving these innocent, thirsty children vinegar to drink. mehem They are filling with chaos and with tremendous confusion. The minds and the hearts of all things that are not meant to go into our, our minds and hearts, with things that are external to us. Now, of course, there's a place for externality. Of course, there's a place that we need to learn and know and understand things that we don't intuitively know. Rav Cook is not suggesting that a person simply follow whatever it is that they, that they, that they feel is authentically themselves. But what Rav Cook is saying here is, is that if you can't activate the self, if you can't empower a human being to be authentically themselves, then everything that you feed into them is just going to continue to crush them. Don't tell me that Hashem wants me to be A, B, and C if I don't know who I am and what I am. Right? That's the, the part from the Kaushan Samagad. A person says, Ani, my sense of I, before we say Hashem, you would think that Hashem is more important than me. How is it possible that a person can say, wake up in the morning and talk about yourself before you talk about Hashem? I think it's the Kashen Samagin. Certainly it's brought down. If I can't say Ani, then I'm not standing the fun of. If I can't say me, I am me, if I can't be tuned into the essence of who I am, then I'm not standing in front of God. The introduction to being in front of God is to be authentically connected to myself. That's the introduction. <speaking> in <Hebrew> And in these situations where an educator is not empowering human, human children, is not empowering us, and this is not just true of children, it's true of all of us, and educators doesn't mean teachers per se. It means a world, a world, whether it be our friends, our rabbis, our spouses, our parents, whatever it might be. If we're not empowered to search for and find and elevate and manifest and express, the sense of Iness, the authentic sense of me in this world, then everything is living in sin. If I am not me, then Hashem Kabyoko is not Hashem. Then of course, you are not you, you, the human beings. You're not you, Hashem is not Hashem, and I am not me. It's all some chaotic. A figment of our imaginations, of atoms crashing into each other. Everyone's doing their thing. God wants this. I want this. You want that. I want this. Nothing's aligned with each other. Nothing's working together. Nothing's working in any kind of flow. The way we do that, the way we get to flow, the way we get to feeling like things are aligned, the way we get to feeling like life is working, the way we get to feeling that that sense of, of simcha, of joy, of a deeper sense of meaning in life, is if I am not just connected to the Ani, but that I am able to experience, and this takes a lot of work, sometimes years, sometimes decades worth of work, to experience and feel within myself that unbelievable explosive feeling of Hashem is in me. Hashem is in me. He's not bashamayim, loy bashamayim, he's not far away from me. Hashem is in me. And it's our job to find that and experience that. If Cook says, Ruach Apeinu Mashiach Hashem. Ruach Apeinu, Ruach. It's a palpable sense. Ruach is a, is, is a feeling of spirituality. It's 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 an experience. Ruach Apeinu Mashiach Hashem. Mashiach is <clears throat> Mashiach is hidden in every one of us. That sense of manifesting that I, the ultimate experience of the neshama stepping out of its casing and not just rendering the guf in service, not just rendering materialism in service of it, but when everything is going to get transformed to be completely mashiachic, that's going to happen when every human being is empowered completely, fully, to be authentically revealed, to be authentically actualized, to be authentically manifested, to be brought into this world as true as Hashem has created them. Zehu gvurasai hadar gadloi. This is the strength. This is the unbelievable greatness, the splendorous greatness. Einenu mebechutzlanu, says, This is not something that's external to us. This is not something that's found outside of us. It is the breath that we breathe. It is the life force that is hidden inside every one of us. There's no person that doesn't have this. There's no Jew that doesn't have this. No matter how far you've you've gone, no matter how far any of us have gone, no matter what place of depth we might have discovered inside of us that might even lend us to think that we should kill ourselves, We have the capacity to go there. But no Nietzsche and no nihilist and no drug addiction and no teacher and no sense of rejection, nothing in this world comes anywhere near or close to that which is hidden inside of me. That which is hidden inside of me. It's not some foreign wisdom that I need to find and discover somewhere. It's not something that I need to search on mountaintops or in deep valleys. It's not something I need poetry for. I mean, all those things are good. But the whole purpose of inspiration, the whole purpose of Torah, the whole purpose of, of living this world is to discover that which is hidden within me. It's not outside of me. Ruach es Hashem elekenu v'david malkenu Navakesh. I implicitly am searching for, I'm yearning for, I'm, learning, I'm, I'm longing for, I'm desiring, it's everything about me is desiring to discover Hashem. And from Mashiach, El Hashem veEl Nifchad, I am I am constantly in a state of being in awe of godliness and his and, and his goodness. Every one of us is searching for some sense of self. All the misery in the world, all the pain in the world, all the suffering in the world is essentially me feeling like I'm nothing. I want something and I get disappointed and I get down in the dumps about it. It's because I feel like somehow, somewhere, this experience is pulling me away from myself. I'm now a stranger to myself. I thought that what I wanted is a pure expression of myself. Little did I know that when I surrender myself, when I surrender and accept a disappointment, what I'm saying is, I guess that thing wasn't really true to me and so my job is to figure out how to go back and grab that which is deeper than whatever i wanted that which is deeper than that thing that i suffered through that disappointment that i had that i thought made my whole life i thought my whole life was was surrounded by this person or this event or this success and then those things Loyal and get destroyed or get taken from us and it's so easy to think to ourselves a piece of me was taken and Rav Kook is saying, no, you have to dig deeper. Those things, as painful as they were, Hashem is saying, of course they're a part of you. Of course they're a part of you. But there's more to you also. And you need to find a way to hold on and grasp on, to search deeper within ourselves. I can't think of, of better words. <laughs> How beautiful those words are. Let us all recognize that that's all we're searching for. as We are searching for ourselves, to find ourselves to be okay with ourselves, to be content with ourselves, to be tuned into ourselves. And it's possible to find it. It's not, this is not something that we have to go to the Himalayas and speak speak to a Tibetan monk about. kol Remove all of the foreign gods, remove all of the foreign influences, remove all of the Western con- con concepts of materialism, of productivity, of success, that whole chasing, even we do this, even, even in our Yiddish hype we do this even in our religion, that we become so obsessed with how much we could do, which of course is a good thing, but if the obsession is there, and then that's the major focus, if the major focus is on how much we could do or even how much we can feel, and we're not tuned into recognizing that it's buried inside of us and our job is to simply grow ourselves and manifest ourselves and learn more about ourselves because that's what Hashem wants from us, then we'll continue, we'll, we will continue worshiping foreign gods. Husser, kol zar umamzer, remove all of the strange things all of the bastardized things. It doesn't mean a mamzer. A mamzerim don't do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong. Mamzerim are holy people too. But what he's talking about here is the uh, the the, mam, the mamzeris that he's talking about here is those things that we produce with ourselves that come really from confusion. Like we spend so much time working on projects and things that are really not true to ourselves. They're not really about ourselves. They're because we, we have to prove something. We have to get something. We think that we're going to become satisfied by, by completion or success. And you will know ki ani, the ani, the ani of Hashem, the ani of myself, the ani of us as a people. To be true to ourselves. It's up to us. Hashem tells us that the secret of finding him is through finding ourselves. That's the play on the words that Rav is, is ending off here. Hashem says, I am found when you are tuned into yourself. Which means for us, on our level, if I am searching for myself, and I'm searching more and more, and somehow God is distant from me, it means that I need to keep searching because the moments of enlightenment that happen in our lives are when we, we are able to experience ourselves being completely aligned with Hashem. And so if I'm searching and I am doing things in my own work, in my own healing process, that feel to me as if I am getting closer to who I am, and I'm getting distant from God, I need to think of a few things. It's possible that, it's possible I'm deluding myself. It's possible that I might discover a whole new understanding of God that I never even knew before. And it's certainly possible that I'm not done my journey. I have to keep going. The other piece of this, the other flip side of this is, is that that if I am searching for God, and I am surrendering to God, and I am trying really, really hard to get to that place that's called godliness, to get to Hashem. And in the midst of all that, I am losing myself. I am not connected to myself. I'm not able to connect to the people that are around me that I love. And I'm not able to be organized and satisfied and productive and fulfilled. And I'm not able to feel within myself the confidence that's required to be me. And maybe I'm not really serving God. Ki ani The ani of me comes from the the strength, the beauty, the unbelievable power that Hashem is buried deep inside of me. And it to all of us is that we are we are given teachers and mentors and experiences and the drive to search for and find within ourselves little little glimpses of that awesome story that awesome narrative that Hashem has put into us for our lives, that story that is an outgrowth of what Hashem wants for us, from us, we should be zeifed to manifest who we are. We should be zeifed to create more and more of ourselves into this world. The more we become ourselves, the more the people around us will feel enlightened and will feel interest and will feel the expansiveness of wanting to be more genuine to themselves. And together with the rest of all of Kala Israel and the rest of the whole world of all humanity and all of this world, we should all have the capacity to grow ourselves bigger, larger, to fulfill our dreams, to become more and more connected with Hashem, to tune into what it is that Hashem is calling and beckoning all of us to. And with that, we should be zaicha to truly the coming of Mashiach, which will be the fulfillment of all of this. Amen.